Friends, grace and peace to you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's amazing how much a scent, a fragrance, can stick to you. Earlier this week uh, on Holy Tuesday, Tuesday of Holy Week, some colleagues and I have a tradition. Each year we get together that day and go out for ribs for lunch. And so we were there this week, and then for the rest of the week, the coat that I wore to that restaurant just reeked of smoked meat. It was awesome. (laughs) But then I realized it wasn't actually just my coat. Yesterday I wasn't wearing my coat, and I still smelled brisket. And I realized it was in my mustache. (laughs) And I had, like, showered multiple times. But some scents just really hang on. A few years ago, we had a baptism on a Sunday morning. And when we have a baptism here, we anoint the forehead of the baptized, making the sign of the cross in fragrant oil, the same oil that's up here on the table. We'll get to that in a bit. And we trace that sign, and the child smells like a royal baby. While that was happening, there was a phone call that came in and someone had died or was actively dying at the hospital, a beloved member of the congregation. So after church, I rushed over to the hospital and there with my thumb still smelling like the baptismal promise, I anointed the forehead of that beautiful child of God. Same scent, same sign, one beginning and one completing their baptismal journeys. And my thumb smelled like that promise for days into the week. I was 13 years old when I first fell in love with the church. Not the institution, not the doctrine, but a building. One in particular was St. Stephen's Cathedral in Vienna, Austria. A family was there on a trip, and we stumbled into this giant Gothic cathedral, the towers over the cities, absolutely stunning building. And I was overcome by its beauty. But it wasn't just the stained glass and the statuary that drew me. It was the smell. The stone walls that had stood in that place for hundreds of years had soaked up the fragrance of the faithful. The walls, the stones smelled of candle smoke. That one special scent that only happens when you extinguish a candle, when a votive burns out. The scent of millions of pilgrims who had burned their prayers, hoping that a word of grace and life might come down from the heavens as the smoke rose up. And some of that smoke got stuck in the stones on its way to the heavens. And there it mingled with the scent of incense. Hundreds of years of millions of kids, altar boys swinging the censer wildly as incense filled the room as the faithful gathered for Mass, praying that God might smell the smell of their sacrifice of praise and might turn to them in mercy. And on its way to the heavens, some of it got stuck in the stones. I was a student of history at the time. And before I went to Vienna, I had read a book about Europe in the Middle Ages. And so I knew about how stinky Vienna had been. And I had this vivid imagination of pilgrims, peasants, stumbling through the streets of Vienna, streets full of raw sewage, 
the stench of death as the plague tore through villages and neighborhoods. With all that rotten urban smell, they came across the threshold of that sanctuary, that place set apart. And for one holy hour, they were enveloped in that beautiful smell, that sacred scent that sticks in the stones. These smells, these scents, these aromas, they, they stick to the stones, they cling to our clothes, they are seared and seep into our skin. And so as I read this story in preparation for this night from the Gospel of John, I found myself imagining all of the smells of this scene. It was a stinky story. I imagined all of the various odors that arose from what was going on on that hill and in that garden. There was the stench of sweat at the sweat dripping from the brows and the armpits of the soldiers as they hammered the nails, the sweat dripping on the bodies of the crucified as they struggled to breathe. I smelled that metallic tinge of blood as it dribbled down the foreheads and dripped from the wrists and the ankles and poured from Jesus' side. There was the smell of exhaustion, of tired people letting everything go. It was a stinky scene on that hill as death poured from their bodies. And I began to wonder about Mary, the mother of our Lord, and the beloved disciple, and Mary Magdalene as they stood around the foot of the cross, and I wondered how much of that stench seeped into their clothes, seeped into their skin, and for how many days, weeks even, they carried with them the scent of death, the odor of the crucified, that a few days later, going about their business, just trying to make it through one more day, riddled with grief, there arose from their clothes a little whiff of what they had witnessed. And it brought it all back, for scent, fragrance, gets lodged in the same part of your brain where memory is held so dear. But death wasn't the only scent that hung in the air in this scene, in this story. Because we're told that when Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, a couple of characters that we'll deal with in a bit, when they did the hard and holy work of carrying the crucified to his grave, we're told by John, who's a stickler for detail, wants us to notice things like this, that he was laid to rest in a garden. A garden that held a, a rough-hewn tomb. Now, gardens, those are smelly places. We've been doing a little bit of gardening at our house in the last couple of weeks whenever the sunshine will allow. Springtime gardening, especially in this time and in this place, it's a smelly business. There's that 
rotten but beautiful smell of the sort of fecundity of soil as the leaves continue to decompose, wet from shuffling off what last remains of the winter's ice. The soil that is fragrant with fertility as it yearns to grow again as the earth begins to emerge from its long winter dormancy. That scent of promised life that has not yet fully emerged. Jesus was crucified in the springtime, late March, early April, the time when some flowers, those early risers, begin slowly to emerge, slowly to puff out a bit of pollen into the air, a tiny little whiff of promise that indeed life will conquer. Perhaps in that garden where Joseph and Nicodemus laid Jesus to rest, there were some tulips, some lilies, a few lilacs, rosemary. But there in this crushing, haunting emptiness, there was hanging in the air a bit of promise, a bit of life. But over and above all of that, there was an overwhelming scent that perhaps you noticed. When Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus arrived to do this hard and heavy lifting, they carried not just the body of the slain, but were told by John that they carried with them a hundred pounds of aloe and spices. Can you just imagine for a moment what a hundred pounds of funeral spices looks like? Where do you even buy such a thing? I'm I'm imagining soaking wet Jesus weighed about a buck eighty at most, over half his body weight in the most expensive, exquisite, extravagant scented oils dragging them along with them as they carried his body to the grave. Now, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, they were not counted among the twelve disciples. They weren't part of Jesus' inner crew. We're told that, that they were secretive. Nicodemus came under the cover of night. Joseph of Arimathea kept his distance, not wanting anyone to know that somehow he had been drawn to this Jesus too. He wanted no one to know that he belonged to this Jesus too. And yet, when everyone else fled as Jesus breathed his last, who was left to do that heavy lifting but Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus under the cover of darkness, secret, silent followers? There is such great irony that these guys did not want to be known as followers of Jesus. But imagine, if you will, you're carrying that body, covered as it is with sweat and blood and every other fluid that flows forth when death sets in, and with it, a hundred pounds of fragrant spiced oils. And then you kneel in the soil of a garden. And you anoint that body, caress 
his flesh, covering him with a burial fit for a king. Some of that's going to get on you. These two men who wanted no one to know that they were close to Jesus, when they walked away from that scene that night, there is no way in the world that they didn't reek of what they had just witnessed. Seeped into their skin, clinging to their clothes, the stench of his death, but also, and so much more so, the exquisite promise of love and life that was bound around this body, that was laid in a tomb that no stone could fully seal. For days, weeks even, everyone could smell where those men had been. And you didn't have to come within blocks of that garden to know exactly where they had laid our Lord. That sweet smell that we can only call grace, that surely escaped whatever cracks it could find in the walls of the tomb, seeped into the stone and emerged through the soil so that everywhere for blocks, miles around, if you wanted to know where Jesus was, just follow your nose. For the whole city reeks of God's gift of love. We live in a pretty stinky world, my friends. You know the smells that cling to your clothes and have seeped into your skin that stick to the walls of your home. You know what it is to walk through a world that reeks of death, where the smell of hatred and violence just fills our nostrils. You know what it is to have your nose full of the smell of your own shame. And yet, we together with Joseph and Nicodemus, we have come close, intimately close to the crucified one. For when you were baptized, the church said out loud that you have been buried with Christ in his death that you have joined Christ in the tomb, that you have been laid alongside the crucified one, covered as he is with the extravagant scent of God's abundant grace and life. That's going to get on you. You don't walk away from that font without smelling like the royal prince and princess that you have been made by God's grace. And so as you walk through a world full of all the odors that we let off, as you walk through a world full of the stench of death, on the days when it feels like that's all there is, just follow your nose. Find your way back to the font. Let your nose lead you to the cross. Let it carry you to this table where you are reminded that you have been joined to this one in his death. 
and therefore you have been joined to his resurrection. That that sweet scent of God's abundant life and love that flows so freely from the cross, from the font, from the table, that scent is stuck to your skin. And it follows you where you go. And the beauty of God's gift of love on this night can cover over all the stench of death. When you come to this place and you trace this sign and you share this meal and you splash in this water and you smell again what it is to belong to the crucified and risen one, you will leave this place reeking of Christ. And every single person you meet is going to know exactly where you've been. And thanks be to God for that.